Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hey, my name's Nick. I'm in North Carolina. You're on tour. I made it. I made it this week. Come on and raise up. <laughs> You're playing rock and roll shows in front of human beings. It's crazy. It's Real crazy life meatbags. It's uh, I have no concept of time. It feels like yesterday that we were on tour, but then also every minute of every day has been excruciating for the last uh, two years. Are you <laughs> so. like, are you are you jazzed like there or are you like, man, home is cool? No, no, I'm happy I'm here. Okay. It's definitely, it's definitely cool. It's just good to be in a room full of people singing for sure. I don't, I don't know because I don't have any touring hopefully ever again, <laughs> but I don't, I mean, I'm, you know, playing shows is great. I miss shows, but like yeah. after COVID and this yeah. last year, I, I feel like it's different. My my inner hermit has been so nurtured <laughs> and just just cultivated and taken care of yeah. that if you were to be like, all right, bro, six weeks in a bus, <laughs> I might be I might actually for the first time in my life be like, I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah, uh, pass. I've, I never was like tour guy. It was like I want to go home. I I loved being on tour, but I now, compartmentalize. Man, I've always like wherever I am, I'm I'm good. When I'm home, I love it. The second I get on tour, I'm mm-hmm. like, I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't look forward to like one or the other when I'm doing the other. Hey, just fake it all. Just put cardboard cutouts out there and play <laughs> crowd noise through the speakers like they're doing, you know, like you talked about at the sports ball matches. That <laughs> yeah. works. You put out social media posts of that, nobody will know the difference. <laughs> like, dude, how did I miss that show? <laughs> Sold out too fast, dog. Sorry. So uh, let's talk about Star Wars now. We have a guest, a very special guest. You may know him as Appa uh, on the award-winning show, Kim's Convenience. But you may also, in the case of this podcast, more importantly know him as the New Republic pilot, Carson Teva, in The Mandalorian, Paul Sun-Young Lee. What's up? Hello. Thanks for having me. Hey. Hey, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah. It's an honor. Paul was uh, recently on Armor Party Podcast, our sister podcast. Mike's right here. He's producing. You can't hear him because he's in the producer box. <laughs> but uh, Stay in your box. Stay <laughs> in your box. <laughs> Great episode. Paul is um, a 501st member, costumer, Star Wars fan, all this stuff before becoming actually part of the Star Wars canon universe. And if you want to hear some like true deep nerd stuff and a full like two hour episode, right? (laughs) Check that out. It's awesome. I really enjoyed the listening to you be a nerd like us paul thank you it's good times it's you know it, it that's that's the one the, the great equalizer i think that's what i love it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from what you do i think if there's a fan inside of you that's that's something that everyone can link to and sort of share together and that's that's the best part of fandom for me is it's that yeah. shared shared love and and spreading that joy is, is amazing so i'm so happy to be a part of that yeah i agree yeah i mean <laughs> Adam and I used to want to fight each other when we were young and dumb, and then we found out we both liked Star Wars, and we became best friends. <laughs> I feel like my uh, my midlife crisis as a forty one year old person. It's been going on for a couple of years now. I won't I won't lie. It's just becoming like diving deeper into all fandoms. You know, Star Wars has always been there. We talked pre show about hockey and mm. wrestling. Like, I just want to be. Eventually, when we can all do that again, I just want to be in a room full of people enjoying the same thing and feel yeah. that energy. You know, that's all, that's all I want. And you bought a sweet Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I divorced my wife, got this sweet red sports car, uh, and all these Star Wars now and <laughs> smoke cigars in my Porsche. Why is my hair pitch black? <laughs> uh, no, I've done none of those things with my midlife crisis. I just bought more Star Wars stuff. So, yeah, yeah same, same page. <laughs> we are here today to talk about Season two, episode two of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. Finally, the making of The Mandalorian season two finale. The fulfillment to the end of season two, episode one, when we all went, uh, it's over. But what about the the part? We got finally the breakdown of how they brought Luke Skywalker back, young Luke Skywalker, to the screen in the season finale of The Mandalorian season two. And 
damn, this was like the last one came out on Christmas, but this was the true Christmas gift. Finally. Yep. Absolutely. What'd you guys think? Obviously we all loved it. Oh, <laughs> that goes without saying, but yeah. What'd you think? I mean, picture me sitting in one place with my mouth agape <laughs> for 40 something minutes. And that's how I felt. I was just blown away. Yeah. I, I was, I was blown away by, you know, how cool it all is and like learning how they did it slash terrified for the future of mankind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think John Favreau is too. <laughs> That's how I walked away from that episode. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I watched it on my iPad after our, like our first rehearsal in a hotel room in Nashville and I cried good tears, you know, not quite the same tears of watching it, the actual episode for the first time. But I just, I mean, my overall takeaway is I like, could we be in better hands than all these people making Star Wars? They care so much and what they care about is that they want to give us all a feeling of joy. That's what they care about. So whatever technology they have to invent to do that, they'll do it. And, and that's the best feeling to me is that they, they just truly do care. So, hey, all those haters online. <laughs> I don't know what you could possibly think after watching that episode. I love how, I, don't, I can't remember if it was Peyton Reed, the director, or if it was Favreau talking about the slow build to the end. I think it was Filoni. Filoni, how they paced it in a way that allowed us all to experience it emotionally and like just kind of sit in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not just dump it on us, not just pull back a curtain, but to let us go, oh God, is it happening? They're not really. No, <laughs> you know, like the <laughs> like the meme video that I posted of the, the 21 Jump Street moment yeah. cut in with it. That's exactly how it felt. And to hear them talk about designing it that way was like, Damn, thank, thanks, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Paul, from your inside perspective, in the limited capacity that you've been in the show and the conversations you've had with Dave and those relationships you have now, you as a Star Wars fan and knowing all those folks as Star Wars fans, how did you receive this? Or how, I don't know, just talk on that for a minute. It's, it's cool on a whole other level for me because actually having experienced working in the volume uh, firsthand and, you know, being privy to, like you said, the, the limited time behind the standing behind the curtain and watching the process being done. And even before when I when I was able to, to visit the set uh, in first season and I had no idea what was going on in terms of storylines because, you know, I'm just a fly on the wall. But hearing just sort of overhearing Favreau and Filoni discuss a plot point for another episode and just the, the intensity, but not not intensity, but like there were stakes involved. And that's what I loved about watching this gallery series is they were talking about doing it right, like the integrity of it, not just trotting out another fan service favorite mm -hmm. to sort of curry favor from anybody. It, it had to be right. They all had to agree that it had to feel right. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even gone with Luke. If one of them had said, ah, it doesn't feel right, they would have mm -hmm. pumped the brakes and they would have done something else. And that's what I really love about the storytelling machine behind, or you know, the, the intelligence behind the storytelling for The Mandalorian. I mean, it's so, you can tell, like, John Favreau was getting misty-eyed when he was talking about R2-D2 yeah. appearing, like, having to go hand-in-hand. Hand. He's a fan. They're all mm -hmm. fans. And they know what it's like, and they, they want to spread that joy, as, as Nick was saying before. And it's just kind of stunning to see that level of cooperation, that level of care, that level of, of integrity, and then that level of excellence on top of it, too. I mean, they work incredibly hard to bring fantastic storytelling to life so it emotionally the tone feels right. Technically, it looks great. The production values are high, so it's got a very filmic quality to it, right? Like, nobody's mailing it in. And that's what makes me laugh when, you know, Nick, you're talking about the haters. It's like, <laughs> holy shit. It's like, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. You're going to take yeah. something that's incredibly well thought out and hard worked upon, and you're going to shit on it because, oh, his knee pads were upside down. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. or that, that deep fake didn't quite do it for me. It pulled yeah. me right out. It's like, holy <laughs> come on. Like, it's a technological marvel of what they did. Storytelling, it hits all those emotional notes. Take the win. Yeah. Like sit in it and enjoy it for a moment. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, afterwards, if you want to, fine. But I'll tell you, anybody who really watched it, if you truly were like, oh, that's so fake. I hate this story. If that was you, <laughs> go watch another show because you're yeah, not right. going to find joy there. Yeah. yeah. But it was neat because like Peyton, they're all nerds. <laughs> Peyton and, and Filoni and Favreau, um, the episode that I worked on, 
with with Peyton Reed. Uh, he and Filoni were joking on the entire like nerd joking too, like deep <laughs> cut nerd jokes about the original Star Wars uh, and how they all all the X wing pilots were British act, actors and they actually had to dub all the dialogue uh, over again with like American DJs. Apparently, they used American wow. DJ voices. So wow. it, it like really neat stuff like that where you just sort of you, you get to see sort of see the cool kids do their thing, mm-hmm. right? And and it's funny because in the nerd world, the nerdiest ones are the coolest ones. Yeah, right? yeah. So that was that was really fun. I'm sure you know of the YouTube channel New Rock Stars, and I would assume this was why they named it that. But for us, like three dudes in bands that to some people are rock stars, the nerds truly now are the new rock stars. Like, the, oh, absolutely. To me, filmmakers like that. I mean, even like I'm a science nerd, so science communicators. You know, the Neil deGrasse Tyson's of the world and stuff like that. Those are my rock stars. Those are the new rock stars to me. And you're absolutely right. Like watching the cool kids just nerd out is like a next level experience. Yeah. And like I've said it before on, on the show too. It's like if you invest, you know, 40 something years of your life into Star Wars and enjoying Star Wars, you know, it's literally been around for 98% of my life. The only person who could have been coming to get Grogu was Luke Skywalker. They could have literally, <laughs> a cartoon Luke Skywalker could have walked in and I would have been like, that's what's right for the story. I don't care about <laughs> yeah. the presentation. I just knew it had to be Luke. So I get a cartoon, Yeah, but we didn't. And now we see that was him. <laughs> yeah. And you knew when, when Ahsoka said no, mm-hmm. you knew. Yeah. I mean, that, that pretty much sealed the deal right mm-hmm. there. I mean, because if Ahsoka is saying no, mm-hmm. who else could it be? Yeah, who who's else? left? You know, um, and it was still and you talk about that build and it's absolutely true because there's still even though step by step, everything is pointing to Luke. You still don't quite believe it. Yeah, even when absolutely. he pulls the cowl down, you're still like, yeah. it's him. Is it him? Yeah. It's him. I can't believe it. You still it's like watching like I would imagine it's like Luke watching Yoda levitate, <laughs> force levitate his X-wing fighter out of the swamp of Dagobah going, I don't believe it. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're going, that is yeah. why you fail. Yeah. Right. Um. <laughs> Even to the point, and I, this is funny, when the X-Wing first rolls up, right? And you're like, oh, who is it? I even thought for a second, well, it couldn't be Luke. Is it me? And it's like, <laughs> of course not you, you idiot. You, were, you didn't film it, so it can't be you. Yeah. Um, and, and that was it. And, like, the little reveals, I mean, and they were just so masterfully set up. And it is stage by stage. The mm-hmm. X-Wing, the cloak, the lightsaber, the fighting style, everything leading up the to gloved that final hand. reveal. Yeah. It's just like, holy shit, I, I'm getting worked up just remembering that and yeah. doing that. And still, I, I'm watching it with my, my boys and all of us literally losing our mind, like just jumping up <laughs> yeah. and down, going, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe it's him. It's, it's great. It's great. Seriously. My dad was just going, no way, no <laughs> way, no way, the whole time. That's yeah. <laughs> so funny. I was subconsciously, but semi consciously just trying to like, temper my expectations because I've had some experiences the past, since the sequel started, I'll just say it straight up. It was uh, The Last Jedi. I got too much into speculating, too much into expectations, right? and it changed the experience for me versus Mm -hmm. The Force Awakens where Ryan and I, I mean, that's how we got into this podcast right here. We made this pact with some other friends to go in completely spoiler free. We watched the trailer once in a theater. That was it. So doing the opposite and going in with expectations, it screwed me up in the past. So I, I, w- mm-hmm. I was trying to learn, take what I learned there. And every step of the way, everything I saw, I saw a gloved hand and I thought, well, other people wear gloves, <laughs> <laughs> green lightsaber. Other people have green lightsabers. Every step of the way, like, no, it's not going to be him. It's not going to be him. And then once it was, I just got goosebumps. Once yeah. it was, it was so much better because I let yeah. myself doubt it until it finally hit. And oh my God, I bawled. I'm going to put it on right right now. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I'm not with, I'm not kidding, not exaggerating. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know, like <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it brought me that, that. Ju- it brought me that happiness that I chase, you know, it's yeah. like just sitting there. Like I remember, the, obviously I watched it at midnight. I mean, we've said this all, but I'll say for Paul, like I watched it at midnight. My lady was sleeping and that X-Wing pulled up and I stood up and I did not sit down the rest of the episode. And yeah. I just remember saying the first words out of my mouth was, oh, my God, they're doing it. And yeah. I, I knew I knew right when that X-Wing showed up, yeah. I was convinced. I just didn't know how it was going to go. Right. So 
Oh, man. What a feeling. <laughs> That's incredible, man. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about, talk a lot a bit about <laughs> what they revealed in this episode of Disney Gallery. I wouldn't say they 100% answered all the questions, how they pulled this off, but they told us quite a bit. Mm-hmm. John Favreau really gave us kind of the breakdown. He laid out in pretty layman's terms. I'm deep into this stuff, so maybe I'm biased. Anyone else who isn't, speak up. He seemed to lay it out in pretty clear terms, the kind of three main approaches to replacing an actor who's not the right age or no longer alive, this or that, that had been done in the past with Star Wars and are done in other films. First being a full CG replacement building from scratch a 3D model of a character, putting them in the film over the head of another actor like they did with Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. The other one that, the mind-blowing one that I think is like the gold standard is the Logan clone in uh, Logan, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, full CG replacement, right? Second being de-aging, which was famously done in... um, the Irishman, most recently, I guess that's the big one that people would point to. It's been done in tons of other stuff. And then deep fake, which is not really a, a mainstream, you know, major movie studio technique yet. Mm. That's mostly known for funny stuff or shady stuff or weird porn or just, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the dystopian future kind of thing. But from what we've learned, Disney's actually put a bunch of time into trying to make this deep fake thing work and everybody kind of understanding that it's going to be the future in some capacity. And it turns out that they, they focused on the deep fake approach and the de-aging approach. They mm-hmm. put a lot of time into both of those. Tell me if you guys got a different vibe. It seems like they said we tried the deep fake thing and then ultimately we went with de-aging, yeah. but they were still a little vague about it. It mm. seemed like they did a little bit of both. Did you guys feel that way? I thought they... Then I, yeah, I don't know. I need to rewatch it then because I, th- I thought they just said they did deep fake. Okay. That mm-hmm. was, that's what they did. And then when they're showing, like, they're showing his face, you can kind of see, like, the halo of, yeah. like, screen behind. Like, that, that's, right. deep, that's deep fake. Mm-hmm. So I, I took it away from it that they, they tried them all and then, like, they're just nothing beat. Like, the deep fake is just too good. It's too, the technology is too good. It's too, you know, it was the most real. So I don't know. I, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought they said that they ended up going with deepfake. It definitely did look more like deepfake mm-hmm. than the de-aging process. I mean, Filoni said it too. He's like, when they finally got Mark Hamill on board, he said, that's great. This is awesome. Now we just got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they hadn't. And so I think they were trying to cover the bases because I know, you know, they talk about season one with Grogu of having him completely CG instead of a puppet. And, you know, the famous Werner Herzog calling them all cowards. <laughs> yeah. And saying, yeah. you know, don't get rid of the puppet type thing. Um, and so I, but they, they do that to just cover, because if they're just stuck with one way of doing it and it doesn't work, yeah, that's the big thing. So they they covered their bases. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, and that's probably why they brought in, you know, Mark and Max, who's his double. Mm-hmm. And they came in and, you know, they, they're, they're doing it. But the thing is, like Mark Hamill, physically even, he's much broader shouldered. He's, mm-hmm. he's bigger because he's older. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Than he was back in you know 1983. That's just a fact of life. And so to to as well like have to you can de-age, but I mean I, I guess you could like airbrushing something is like you can make somebody's body a different shape. Right. But it, at the end of the day, I think it it looked like they just used his double and then put the deep fake over him yeah. as well, and they even synthesized his voice. Yeah. Uh, as well, because if you listen to Mark Hamill being interviewed now. His voice is nowhere near the way he sounded back in in 83. Super gravelly. I wonder, though, if I would assume they took his performance because they used sort of an audio deepfake app software, something called Respeecher, which I've actually read a bit about before this. It's the same kind of idea. You take a library of, you know, they took a bunch of old interviews, bits from the actual films, and all from that 1983, 1982 time period, and they feed it into this, you know, they have a giant library of, thousands of words, right? And they take little bits of each word and the algorithm takes a speech performance and then matches the other stuff to build the same words in the cadence, in the tone as the, the performance, the source performance, I guess. And I would guess that they used what he did there on set, right? We would have to assume. Well, I think that's a good assumption though. I mean, and they said it too. I mean, you can't have Luke Skywalker without involving Mark Hamill somehow. It's the right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, just out of respect and deference to 
everything that he's done to sort of help create this character and make this character iconic. Mm. You can't just sort of go, this is what we're going to do. Hope you enjoy it. We're going to show you all the yeah. things, but you're not going to be involved. We're not going to use any of the stuff that you <laughs> give us at all. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wouldn't do that. And, and that's what I love about, you know, Dave and John and everyone there is just, it's the integrity yeah. of them, of doing it right. And they, they are so respectful of the source material too, but not overly respectful either. Right. Like they know mm-hmm. they've got to branch off in different ways as well, but yeah, they can't be trapped by it. You yeah. know? Yeah, I, I remembered something while you guys were talking. I think that I remember Favreau saying they wanted to see where deepfake technology was at. And then they weren't, I guess, happy with that. And they were more confident in de-aging. I think they might have said that. That's what I thought I heard, too. But Yeah. But then they kept showing more deepfake after that. So that yeah, was confusing. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. I think they, they purposely, I would guess, they purposely left it a little bit ambiguous because... Mm-hmm. Whatever secret sauce is behind the Disney curtain, you know, yeah. in, in Imagineer tradition, they don't want to reveal exactly how they did everything. Mm-hmm. That kind of spoils the magic and also spoils their <laughs> highly proprietary methods. Yeah. There was an article I remember seeing floating around a few months ago that they actually went and hired another guy who was really good at deep fakes on, mm. on, on, on social media. Shamuk. And they, they ended up hiring him. Mm-hmm. Disney ended up hiring him or Lucasfilm. Yeah. yeah. Um, because there was so much... You know, there were people complaining that the, the deep fake wasn't very good and blah, blah, blah. And then somebody did their own version of it. That was better. Yeah. And so they approached this person who did a better job and <laughs> they actually ended up hiring him. So yeah. that, I think that's interesting. That's an interesting point, too, yeah. because it is. And they did talk about it. That is kind of uh, it's a neat tool to have in your arsenal for good because it really just sort of opens it up. But again, and that was that, that huge moral discussion at the end, the quandary oh, of, yeah. you know, the tool itself isn't good or evil it's how you wield it right and yeah. you know the, the whole discussion about blockchains and and mm-hmm. and you know make make verification and stuff like that was very interesting i thought so yeah definitely yeah they put a solid five minutes into talking about the ethics of deep fakes which is you know it's on brand for disney they're tiptoeing into something that is pretty controversial on a lot of levels it seemed like they they made a very conscious effort to say hey we understand that this is a, a dangerous tool that we're wielding here but we want to use these powers for good. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait in a decade to be dealing with like a deep fake president or something. And then oh, yeah. we get to, <laughs> oh, we yeah. get to, we get to pull up this Favreau clip be like, well, Favreau knew 10 years ago. <laughs> so Paul, I assume you've thought quite a bit as an actor about deep fake CGI characters and so on, what this means for the future of acting, the future of filmmaking. And you're no Luddite. You're a dude who clearly embraces technology, but as an artist, I'm sure you you have feelings about it, right? Yeah. You know, the deep fake stuff is good up to a point. I mean, it just in terms of right now they're talking about believability in terms of appearance, right? Like they, that a whole thing about how human beings are experts at facial recognition, mm-hmm. of recognizing what's a real face and stuff. And we're at that phase right now where they're, they're trying to tweak that and fine tune it so it looks real. But looking real and acting real Different things, yeah. too, yeah. right? And 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 again, I, who knows? As AI gets used more and more, you've got that. I mean, even with the the re-speech stuff, you have AI like clipping together all these words. But is the performance behind it still that going to be there? Are you going to feel that depth of emotion? Are you going to feel the comedy, the joy, the laughter, the nuance of that human voice and the performance, the choices, the distinct choices that are being made? Can you recreate those? Who knows? Maybe eventually. But right now, in terms of deep with deepfake, you still need actors to either stand in and, and to give a physical performance as well, even vocally to, to make those choices, to, to have it so it feels lived like it feels alive. You can have something that looks completely computer generated. We, you know, we've, we've seen movies like that, but there's something about it's lifeless mm-hmm. and it, it just feels artificial. And you're not going to get I mean, unless they work out an algorithm. That just pushes everybody's buttons in terms of like, okay, so the algorithm says if the the computer generated model does this or starts to cry here or the voice gets softer here, then it's going to create a visceral effect in the audience. Like, who knows? They, right. they can do that. They're, they're already tracking what kind of toilet paper I want to use right. based on like what game I played in the morning, right? right. So who, who knows? But at, at the end of the day, too, I, I really do think what's really hard to replicate is heart. Yeah. It's, it's true, just heart and emo- like just authenticity and emotion and presence. 
And I think that's what's missing from all this other stuff is the presence. Right now, we're emotionally moved by the appearance of Luke Skywalker, but that's because not just because he's appeared, but because it's a culmination of great storytelling with music, with all these things, and based on a character that we all grew up with and idolizing, and then he appears, and we're willing to go there because the young version of him suddenly appears. Now, if you had to act out an entire episode like that, I don't know how willing we'd be to go along and kind of go, uh, yeah. okay, I believe every moment of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think using little spurts like that, strategically, tactically, it's great. But I, I still think we have a ways to go before they start swapping out actors completely yeah, and just yeah. dropping in CGI, you know, characters. With the, mm -hmm. that, that, that's the way it is because it's, it's really, really hard to create that presence. Yeah. Here's a little thought experiment, and I've thought about this quite a bit. Specifically in regards to Star Wars, thinking about the fact that we lost Carrie Fisher, Sir Alec Guinness would be over 100 by now. You know, we've got, we've got these legacy characters and these actors that are now gone, but we still want stories from them, right? Some older actors are recast. There's no attempt to replace their faces. You've got Alden uh, playing Han. You've got Genevieve O'Reilly, right, playing Mon Mothma. No attempt to replace their faces. So that's one thing that's exciting for young actors to be able to play those roles. But then as, let's suppose at some point when this technology is perfect, right? And it can fool our most expert human eyes, right? Just as a thought experiment, say it's perfect. And there, there ends up being this whole kind of like sub industry or, or tier of actors that are essentially voice actors, maybe body performance actors and voice actors whose faces we may never see. How do you feel about that? Well, that's already happening. It's called video games. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's that's what they are. They're all mocap, and they're doing now. It's like they're back back in my day when I was doing video yeah. game recording <laughs> voices. I was in a booth trying to, and they were trying to lip sync uh, my dialogue. I was trying to lip sync my dialogue to the actors who were in the mocap suits who were running the scenes. I, I did uh, Rainbow Six Vegas one and two. Dope. And it, it and it, here's where it got interesting because the. The dudes who were in the mocap suits uh, running the scenes, they were from Quebec and they were doing all their dialogue in French. <laughs> and the rhythms of the body are different yeah. when you're speaking French versus English, Anglais. Mm. And so it was tough for them to match it up. So they switched now. Uh, if, you're, if you're casting a video game, you've got the mocap suit on. And so you're doing the physicality and the voice work. And they're mapping out some another digital image over you. So you already have, a, that's, it's already exists, that group of actors. You'll never see their faces, but you'll recognize their voices. And they do actually do uh, the physical work. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's already there. You know, it's got its place. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, it's, it's a fool's errand. No one will ever buy it. Like people, there's, there's an appetite for it. There's an audience for it. Yeah. But at the right. same time, I think... If you look at how much cost is involved in doing that, too, I mean, you might want to save it for certain iconic characters. Sure. But, I mean, seeing Rogue One, the guy that who's doubling as, you know, uh, they, they use as a double for Grand Moff Tarkin, I, I thought he looked pretty close in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I was he like, was good, man. And he was, you know, he, you do your homework as an actor. You study the, the, the nuances the, of speech, of body language. And just, you know, call it a day. Like, we're not dumb. We know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not going to be the it's same the actor. Story. But that's fine. It's called the yeah. suspension of disbelief. Yeah, it yeah. happens. Like, you know, James Bond. We've had how many actors play a different James Bond? Nobody <laughs> yeah. seems to really right. care. <laughs> really. It's like, it's the character that yeah. goes on. And so I think there's got to be a little bit more allowance in that. And I think if we're trying to, we're, we're trying to be a little bit too clever by half. And saying, mm -hmm. oh, well, how can you replace such an iconic character? You right. know, how can you do that? Well, you're not replacing the character. You're not replacing the actor. Fact of the matter is, if you want a young Han Solo, you need to cast young. You don't want Harrison Ford running around. First of all, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> but second of all, it's like you know, the, the incredible cost involved in all that is is kind of prohibitive. Yeah. But that's not going to stop people from doing that because it's a way to draw attention to a project, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, you know, what? watch Sir Alec Guinness brought back to life as, a, as Obi-Wan in, in Kenobi 2. The sequel, right? Where he's just like, <laughs> just before he meets Luke, yeah. like in the, in the upcoming weeks, 
just before. I think there's there's something there where, okay, so like you just touched on, you know, casting Alden as Han. That's because they had plans to do more. Yeah. That that almost leads me to believe that we're like we're probably not going to see much more of Luke because they would have recast, you know, like just out of yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. practicality, you know? It's like just because Solo was like a lukewarm thing, maybe we don't get more of that, but there probably was a plan to recast for multiple to for there to be a new Han, you know? And 100%. Uh, yeah. So, I think this uh not recasting Luke is that, you know, probably not getting him more. <laughs> well, combine that with the fact that I kind of got the vibe from watching this that maybe Grogu's out, you know, like there was some terminology. Favreau said two season arc. Mm. Uh, with Luke? Grogu. Mm. He said something like the culmination of a two season arc of like the child's oh, journey. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like. Luke and Grogu are sort of riding off into the sunset, and that's the end of that story, to be yeah. honest. I mean, and and it may really be the end of the story. Like, people are going to freak out, but, like, there may not be, well, what happened to Grogu? You, you yeah. might just not know, because Din Djarin's task was to reunite him with his people, and he did that. Mm-hmm. So that's over. And so I would agree with you in that I think they would have recast Luke if they were going into yeah. a season three Grogu and Luke arc that's going to be a part of the Mandalorian story or its own story outside of the Mandalorian. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen either. I, I think you're totally spot on with that. Mm. But to, uh, to Paul's point about, and Nick's, you know, whether it's full blown animation, 3d style animation, like, uh, the Clone Wars and the Bad Batch or this seeing the character should do it for us. We should be like, we keep talking about on the show. We should be thankful that we get this amount of star Wars and we get these characters period. So, I, I doubt they're fully ruling out the idea of bringing back Grogu, but maybe he shows up in an animated series. Maybe yeah. he shows up in something completely different. And since Star Wars has become so much more than just six or nine movies or whatever, I think the door is always open, ultimately, mm-hmm. if they want to bring something back. And it might be 15 years from now, but I think it's always possible. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's, uh, real quick, let's talk about how they pulled off some of these things, how they kept it a secret, and then some fun, like, tidbits that I caught. I know you guys caught some other little kind of deep cuts in there, too. Mm -hmm. So they shot this while Robert Rodriguez was on location in Simi Valley shooting Chapter 14 of The Mandalorian. They had a super limited little skeleton crew, only absolute need-to-knows on the set. They had Mark Hamill for one day. They didn't say how long they had the... uh, the body double mm. max it's also interesting that they just called him max they didn't even say his last name <laughs> you uh, can look that i up. guess because they wanted to focus on it it being mark hamill you know yeah. but uh i looked it up his name's max lloyd jones and he actually played i didn't see anything big on his imdb except for war for planet of the apes he did motion capture performance for mm. blue eyes one of the apes interesting so he's been under cg before but they like i said they shot this in one day if anyone's Watch this, you know, they had a physical set, but they also had a blue screen. It was in the volume, so I'm assuming that blue screen was the screen projecting blue rather than, you know, a, a traditional blue, uh, you know, piece of fabric, whatever. It was in the volume with the set. Mark and Max worked together. I, I thought it was so cool. I, I love the humility of Mark Hamill, how, number one, he said, like, oh, I figured one day they'd cast somebody else, and that'd be cool, and it'd be exciting to see who it was. But it ended up being him, and he really partnered with this young actor, this pretty much unknown actor, and they would kind of learn from each other how they were doing it. He would kind of coach him on how Luke would speak, how he would deliver it. I just thought that stuff was so heartening and just cool. Mark Hamill's such an awesome, like, could we ask for a better hero off screen for the on screen hero, you know, in this thing? Yeah. It's just so great. It's class, pure class, right? Yeah. Doesn't need to do that. <laughs> Doesn't have to do that. Right. No one would say otherwise if he didn't. But he does because he's classy. He's like that. And that's awesome. 
you know, they say never meet your heroes. Yeah, it's great hearing him. Like he, you know, he uses the word cherish when he was talking about the fans, you know, like it's just something that he really does cherish. And, and you know, whether that is actually rare or not to hear, you know, kind of iconic actors like that say that is pretty unheard of, I would, I would think. <laughs> yeah. And they, when they were shooting this thing, I mean, talk about all time biggest secrets up there with no, I am your father. They had in the script that was handed out, Miss Leeds referring to this character as Plo Koon, you know, famous um, Jedi from the prequels, well known as Dave Filoni's favorite Jedi. So very strategic about which one they picked, because if it did leak, people would go, oh, that's probably right, because that's Filoni's favorite. They went as far as to create concept art, temp CGI effects over Max's face. They actually put Plo Koon, they did a full-blown 3D model. They were checking social media. They had like Lucasfilm staff checking social media daily from the day that they filmed it onward to make sure it wasn't leaking. And holy shit, did they stick the landing? (laughs) I can't believe it didn't leak. It's unreal. It's almost like, you know, the other leaks distracted everyone. Yeah. You know, Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, or I definitely heard chatter of Cobb Vanth and we knew Timothy Oliphant was uh, involved. So it's almost like all that stuff was like, that was the red herring. So everyone was like, wow, we're getting all this stuff. And then I remember covering it on the podcast. Everything that was leaked was in like the first four episodes. So there was four fresh episodes that no one knew anything about. I also love going back to the care that they took to make sure they pulled it off right. Talking about what Luke should be wearing, what would hit the right nostalgic notes, what would be appropriate for the character, what would be convincing and received in the right way, given the fact that this digital medium, this type of production is much different from shooting on film, you know, 40 years ago and how that has changed over time. Like the cloak, for example, the robe was brown (laughs) in Jedi. We all remember it as black, but it was brown. And even the, the fact that he was wearing all black was about the idea that fans didn't know whether or not Luke could potentially turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. So if they put him in anything else other than the all black ensemble, it would have felt yeah. off. That's some weird like Mandela effect adjacent thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny though, Paul, I don't know if you collected Kenner stuff when you were growing up, but Return of the Jedi Luke had a brown cloak when you bought that. Mm-hmm. that. So I remember, mm-hmm. but even then I was like, why is this brown? It should be black. <laughs> yeah. It's like the jacket in Empire. Yeah. Totally. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> Which is brown, by the way. Yeah, totally. Oh, one other last thing just about performance capture. I thought it was so dope on a technology level and just a, like a technique level. How after they got the on-set performance with Hamill, he went straight into this other lighting rig, this other capture rig called the Egg. We've seen things like this when they, I, I go back to the Logan thing again, where you've got lights everywhere. You've got cameras everywhere and they're capturing from all different angles the performance so they can then create a CG reference and they use that for lighting. They, they sometimes build from that, but this one, it seems like they kind of leveled up the concept a little bit because not only was it lighting from all directions, but it was matched to what they did in the volume in terms of, you know, sparks flying or where just the key lights coming from or this or that as he's performing, it's like a lower res version of the volume screens. So if he's getting hit with a warmish light on the left, and then he's got a little bluish hair light in the back, it's mimicking that. And it's capturing the whole thing. So he'd go in and redo his lines exactly the same way or attempt to. And then they have that for reference. I just, I'm such a technology nerd. And this was like <laughs> almost my favorite part. <laughs> I knew you were stoked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the coolest thing about one of the coolest things about being in the volume is just from what I mean, it's the controllability of light. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest advantage that they have over going to location because when you're on location, exterior, it's like, you know, the sun changed position. There's a cloud overview, you know, it, depending on the weather. And, and it, you know, you might have the optimal amount, you know, perfect lighting, you know, the, the magic hour, like they call it, yeah. for just a short period of time. Whereas on the volume with stagecraft, you can, for as long as you want. And if you need to tweak something, you just tweak it right there. There's very uh, little practical lights just because the volume provides all of that too, right? Mm-hmm. When I was shooting, they did. I mean, again, we were in space, so <laughs> you have to light it. But my recollection as well of being on set was you don't have, in terms of the electrics and the lights set up on a movie set or a TV set, There's mm-hmm. there was a lot less just because you had it all, all that from the, from the volume itself because it's, it's the ceiling as well, right? So it's not yeah. just in the round, it's above. So that's really cool. That's so dope. 
there's got to be like an overwhelming, and we, you know, we've speculated about this here and there, but there's got to be an overwhelming sense from like actors. Fine, it's got to be easier to act in there, right? That as opposed to green screen, oh, right? Absolutely, it's so immersive. First mm-hmm. of all, because you're there, and I just keep talking for me. I mean, I'm in a pilot's uniform, fully <laughs> kitted up, sitting in a cockpit that has got practical lights blinking back and forth on it, and I'm holding you know, the flight stick and I look across and there's a star field and a complete <laughs> star field projected. And there's an image of the razor crest right off my, my starboard bow. I'm looking at it and it's, it's not like there's some dude with a tennis ball on a stick yeah. going, Ooh, right. here's the razor crest, right? <laughs> like I could have done it anyways, but just having it there. And another thing was it didn't make into the episode, unfortunately, was when we were shooting the chase scene down to Maldo Crees, uh, we're chasing the razor crest. Like, they had this whole chase. It was like a ride. Hmm. Peyton, they had me filming, like, hard turns and, and dives and banks and stuff like that. And we did that for, like, 10 minutes. Dude. And I was like, again! Again, <laughs> yeah. please, yeah. again! Yeah. I don't think I've ever experienced the level of jealousy that I'm experiencing <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> Sorry. It was so cool, though, man. It's still, And that's, that's the thing. It's better than any ride. You know, I remember going to Epcot. And in the yeah. old, you know, they have the old projected things and you're, you're in the, the moving vehicle, but it's really just bouncing up and down and tilting back and forth. But you're just watching a movie. Well, this is more, this was just because it's in high def. And then when you're yeah. kitted up and everything. Yeah, and I can't imagine. Yeah. The cockpit's not moving, but you yeah. feel like you're moving because yeah. everything is so real. It's so easy to lean into those turns. And, you know, I remember it. And this is a little nerd moment. You know, Peyton saying, yeah, you want to really, really want to feel that, you know, feel that turn. I said, yeah, but I've got inertial dampeners on. <laughs> so, like, oh, really, I should be, be, be able to, he's like, well, and say, okay, I'll, I'll, how about we say that, you know, he's got them turned down way low so he can feel it. He can feel it more. I was like, yeah, yeah, do that. Nice. So we're, we're doing that. But it's, like, it's fun to pretend like you're feeling the Gs as, as the X-Wing banks around to try to get a better angle of attack yeah. on the Razor Crest, right? Like, mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. Is yeah, like, man. I'm five years old again. <laughs> yeah. And I'm playing in like a million dollar play box. You know? Yeah. How does it compare to Smuggler's Run and Rise of the Resistance in terms of the fidelity? Honestly, I can't say it because I haven't been on either of those. What? I have not. Yeah. I live in Toronto. So I didn't get a chance to go to Disney World. The pandemic hit. Oh, man. I didn't get a chance to get down to, to Galaxy's Edge or either of them. And But that's most definitely. On the list, yeah. If I'm ever down there again and I have some time, because it's well, celebration. Yeah, if you're free, we'll all be Fingers there. Fingers crossed, <laughs> dude. That I can say without a doubt, and not to overhype it. And I'm sure other people have said this. Rise of the Resistance is the best ride ever made. Yep, on nice. Earth. Period. Yep. Whenever I say that, I always preface them like, obviously, I'm a Star Wars fan. This could literally be Cinderella the ride, and I would say it's the best ride that exists. Yeah. <laughs> now, imagine getting paid to take that ride. I know. Yeah, damn. <laughs> Congratulations on life in general, Paul. Yeah, well done. <laughs> you got healthcare up there. Just, You're in Star Wars. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Just extremely fortunate. I mean, everything leading up to this, it's it's weird because... You know, 25 years ago, I'm an asshole to Deborah Chow while we're working <laughs> in Toronto. This None of this happens type thing, right? Yeah. So wow. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think all those links have to be made. The X-Wing just pulled into the bay. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and it's pulling in. I'm like, is it me? Uh, no, it's not <laughs> you, so great. idiot. Here comes it's Paul. Um, <laughs> going back to being on set real quick, maybe I was watching the Unreal Engine demo on their YouTube channel before it was revealed that Disney was using this, but there was talk about a producer coming in. I think they're, yeah, I think they were shooting the, you've probably seen the demo where the dude's on a motorcycle. Mm. It's like the reveal of this whole thing. And there's just showing how the interactive light is reflecting on the gas tank. And it's just so real looking. They've got sand on the ground because you build the set in the thing. Right. Yep. And the producer walked in and goes, man, I didn't realize we were building out so much set. And the DP goes, now that's the screen, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yep. The stuff that you did on, you know, on the ground, like your, your scene with Gina outside the, um, yeah, yeah. you know, the little office kind of on thing. On Navarro? There. Yeah. That's actually, that wasn't in the volume. Oh, well. No, that was, they ha- they actually have a studio lot about a mile away. So you did it there. From, yeah. The, and they've got it all mocked up, like to the T's. Like that is that entire stretch of road that's set. 
they built wow. it. They did build it up. That's dope. And the detail is incredible hmm. on that. But yeah, that that's actually in studio lot. Oh wow! And that's in Southern California, or is that a different it is, one? Yeah, okay, no, that's okay. in, that's in Los Angeles. Yeah. They shoot out of uh, well, we shot out of Manhattan Beach Studios. Yep, Manhattan right. Beach. Okay. So it was the the back lot over there. But you mentioned obviously you were you were on set there when you were shooting for probably other stuff that was going on. You said you visited. Yeah. Did you have moments like that where you were you kind of forget that you're not on yeah. a physical set when you're in the volume? Well, that was the first time I ever saw the volume was uh, the set visit, and I was watching. It was Dave. He was directing that episode, and it was that uh, from season one where you first meet Pelimoto when they get to Tatooine, mm-hmm. and they're in that docking bay. And so I went in, like I like from the outside, you look at it, and you just see the backs of all the the LED uh, screens and all the cabling. And it yeah. looks like a huge nuclear reactor or some sort of like <laughs> it's because it's round, but the screens are flat. So it's got that weird segmented look to it mm-hmm. with thousands of cables. And then when I stepped in, like my jaw dropped because they have it was a practical set in the middle. So they had the bottom part of the razor crest with the ramp down. There was sand on the ground. They had the boxes, but everything else was projected and it looked 100 percent real. Damn. There's that scene in, in Stand By Me when uh, Chris Chambers, he's got, hey, you want to see something cool? And he pulls out a 45 and right. Will Wheaton holds it and he's looking at it and he's just walking, talking, Jesus. That's exactly how I felt, <laughs> like looking at all that stuff. Because it, it's like being on a holodeck to cross streams. Yeah, it, It's just so realistic looking. And because they have the immediacy of the practical stuff right in front of you, when you look out, felt like this the the studio was like a hundred times the size just because yeah. of the the depth mm-hmm. of of the image that they were projecting and, and it, it's really cool too because some of it's a bit wonky because they have a ring of cameras surrounding the perimeter of it and all those cameras are focused on the primary camera that they're using to shoot and the primary camera has all these mocap balls and they use that to track where it's pointing oh track it in 3d space exactly yeah. and so wherever it's pointing the the image shifts and adjusts itself too right Right. so you've got that bit of a it looks like a cloaking device ship sort of moving around a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah because it's just what's in frame it's like uh exactly yeah it moves relative to the camera's position Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so Mm -hmm. there's that and then same thing with the x-wings because when you look at it for like the cockpit itself the engines like to the human eye when you're looking at it the engines are like 15 times the size of the cockpit but from the camera's point of view perspective, they look the right size. Right. So it's a really interesting uh, illusion happening there. It's like a weird kind of version of how any map that we look at has Greenland all blown up and weird because of <laughs> the only way you can display it, you know? Yeah. 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 That's so it's interesting. It's so funny you mentioned it, it's the holodeck. They create, they invented the holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. One thing I thought was interesting, Mike dropped this in the notes. Robert Rodriguez said recently he actually prefers shooting on green and blue screen to the volume because he likes that post-production flexibility to shift gears and, or, you know, completely swap something out. We talked about the immersion and how that helps you as a performer. Any thoughts on his comment there? It makes perfect sense to me for that because then he's not hemmed in. When, when you're working on the volume, there's an incredible amount of work that has, like the previs alone takes you you're and you're locked in in that sense yeah there's certain things you can adjust in terms of the lighting and maybe some of the geography and stuff but and that's kind of robert rodriguez's style right like he he likes to go fast and loose and change his mind on the fly and gives himself he likes that challenge right he doesn't like to be sort of hemmed in on something so that makes perfect sense to me and on that scale too when you're talking about like a, a feature film versus an episodic show that makes sense as well on that level because the episodic show then you you need that structure built in because you can't really fix it in post type thing where you have yeah. more time uh, for a film right like for a tv series if there's a delay that affects the entire rollout of the entire series right whereas as a film you can you can bump the dates a little bit depending right. on um so that makes sense as a performer that i think you might get the occasional person says, no, I'd, I'd rather use my imagination or this or that. But I mean, having done both, like, and especially in the Star Wars setting too, I was so much happier to be able to look and see the Razor Crest instead of, yeah. like, again, mm-hmm. some dude with a tennis ball. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, chase the Razor Crest, you know. <laughs> I would have been happy either way, but it is, there is that element of 
shit, it's right in front of you. Yeah. Like, let's do it. I mean, that just as a nerd, you, you just sort of like, <laughs> you get giddy looking at it. Yeah. Going, oh my God. You know, and, and seeing the other X-Wings, S-Foils lock into attack position, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's go time. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense what, what Rodriguez was saying about it too, but um, I think that's his style though. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like to be hemmed in. That being said though, if you need to make changes after the fact, reshoots, pickup shots, all that kind of stuff with the volume, damn, is that like a fraction of the work and time and effort Yeah, to go do that? That's pretty sick. Yeah. I, would, I would guess, and tell me if you saw any of this or if you know, say there's a, there's a walking shot and it's a, it's a medium or a tight shot or a close-up and they just need to be walking. You just need the motion of walking. Do they bring treadmills in as well, that kind of stuff? Or is it always just like, you know, you're going to walk 30 feet across this thing? It's the 30 feet across the thing just because yeah. if you're in the volume, they're huge. I mean, the set's huge. And, like, the volume for season two is bigger than the one they use in season one. Yeah. And I know I'm hearing that they're building volumes, like, all over the world now. Like, yeah. there's one in Canada, in Vancouver, that they've, they've built and they've been testing. I'm pretty sure they're building one in Toronto as well. They're building them in Pinewood in London. Uh, this is, really is something that I think a lot of film companies will want to start playing with and investing in getting act they're like they're training actors to work in them too how to work in them just because it is an incredible cost savings if you're thinking about shooting on location with just transporting crew and equipment and getting all that stuff out there and then like doing that and like oh look it's a freak snowstorm in may like (laughs) what are you gonna do right like you're kind of screwed whereas for for the volume you're there you know, it doesn't yeah. matter. And you can create the snow if you wanted to type. Thing. Right. It's just that flexibility. And you McGregor talked about it too. And that, you know, he did that sort of interview uh, with, with Pedro Pascal. And they were talking about how, you know, when he was in his 20s, he was like, yeah, let's travel everywhere. Let's have fun. It's good. But now that he's at his age, he's like, at the end of the day, I just want to go home. <laughs> and yeah. being in the volume means you could be anywhere in the world and still clock out at like eight o'clock and go home. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's dope. Oh, one. One little thing on green screen, blue screen, so on. We noticed in, in this episode that there was a lot of blue screen at the end of the hallway. Luke was walking through, right? Mm-hmm. Did you catch the one shot where R2 was green? Green, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Probably because they, they were shooting blue screen, so they had to have the contrast. <laughs> they didn't yeah. want to key out R2 as well. That's a good, good point. Because I caught that and I was like, oh, maybe that was like a, another Plo Koon thing where, you know. like oh, like a misdirection? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Nerd stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's funny because you're the first one to get why it was green Mm -hmm. instead of the blue. And that's props to you. Because everywhere's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, it's green. What happened? (laughs) And it's just sort of like, yeah, well, if you think about it. You should start a podcast, Adam. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great idea. (laughs) Dude, I just thought of something funny. You know how actors talk. Here you are, an actor. Talk about how um, your scene partner talk about being generous right in a scene where you're acting against another actor and what they're giving you is so important to your performance and so on mm-hmm. i'm just imagining again in a, a distant maybe dystopian future where there's like one actor all they can afford is one actor for the whole thing and he's just in a volume by himself or she's in a volume by herself and doing interviews for the movie like yeah it's just the, the visual effects artists were just so generous with the volume with the actors <laughs> that they had me act against. <laughs> i hope it doesn't get it, to that point <laughs> it could be it could be a weird future yeah. but it's very exciting i'd like to think that i meant to say this earlier like i hope that like we're telling stories within stories at this point which is why you have to create a young luke skywalker i hope yeah. that instead of again this is just naive i can't believe i'm going to go on record and say this i hope that people <laughs> can tell stories in the future as opposed to the past where they would need deep faking, you know, like instead of mm-hmm. leaning on it as a crutch and being like, I wrote this story that John Wayne's in. It only works if it's John Wayne, you know, like if they move in the future of writing new stories and have being able to use new actors and use it for a Luke moment, as opposed to John Wayne is starring in this movie. Yeah. Let's just bring Sean Connery back to life and <laughs> yeah. he's yeah. the new Bond yeah, yeah. In, in 2025 <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, Paul, I'm uh, at this point mindful of your time, but before you go, I wanted to ask you one more quick question. As someone who's been on the show, and hopefully we'll see you on it again. Absolutely. With all the endless possibilities that we have with the volume and the, all these storytelling opportunities, what would you love to see that we haven't seen yet, whether it's on this show or another upcoming show, in terms of maybe a world we would visit, 
or something that we have the ability to see now with this technology, maybe? Uh, that, that's a great question. You know, something, a common thing that, that's been coming up during this podcast is like, and Nick, the, the, the true romantic that you are, <laughs> um, and I agree with it, is we want to see new stuff. Mm-hmm. Break new ground. Let's stop living in the past because everything's getting derivative of everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's getting kind of boring, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And there is right now there seems to be cachet and reliving nostalgia, which is great. I mean, there's something to be said about that. But the unfortunate thing is we tend to, especially in the entertainment industry, producers tend to just sort of ride, beat that horse to the ground and then keep riding it until it's even more dead. And then they try to resurrect it and ride it some more to squeeze out every last ounce of it at the expense of some really great opportunities for for fantastic storytelling. Um, I'm excited to see what they do, what others do with, with the Star Wars franchise as well, because as much as there's going to be pushback from gatekeeping fanboys, I think that's what the franchise needs in oh, order totally. to sort of remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited to see what Acolyte brings or the High Republic or any of these other stories or the other, uh, the animated version of Star Wars. And the blowback from that has been incredible too, which mm-hmm. is hilarious because it's like, if you want to watch the same three movies over and over <laughs> and over again, go by all yeah. means. But don't crap on trying to breathe new life and relevancy into yeah. a franchise that that you love. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take away from the value of anything that you've loved before. It's just going off in a different way. And heaven forbid, create more fans <laughs> right. for something and create even more content. So I'd like to see this uh, all this technology as well used for, you know, to go off in a fre- fresh direction. I'd love to meet and fall in love with new characters and have them sort of carve out their own niche as well, mm-hmm. because it is a huge galaxy. And I myself would like to see more of it explored as well. I, I'm just thinking there's that period of time, like, do you, do you go pre-Republic? Do you go way past where we're at right now so that there's no, like, what Star Trek did, basically? They yeah. had to send them 900 years mm-hmm. in the future to get away from all their yeah. other baggage. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like moving away from home. Mm-hmm. Right, you got to get as far away as possible so you don't get sucked back into it, right? And I think a lot of people were kind of what made them so happy about the Mandalorian was that it was so separate in identity, and then once other characters from other franchises started showing up, people were like, "Oh, it's turning into Clone Wars or Rebels." Oh, it's and I could sort of see that. I disagree with that. I think it was great because it's just enriching that part. They they are mm-hmm. such a part of that universe. There's going to be some crossover happening. But it is very much Din Djarin's sort of journey through it. And that's, I like that perspective. Uh, so you can do that, I think. But I, I would like to see, again, another fresh sort of character go off and, and the different, I mean, that whole, I mean, it's kind of funny, but that whole idea of like the uh, range of the New Republic, the way it had before, somebody joked, it should be Carson Tavia and Trapper Wolf and they're like <laughs> tired beat cops and they yeah. fly around. I would watch something like that, even if <laughs> yeah. I wasn't yeah. in it, yeah. I would yeah. want to watch something like that, right? The mundaneness <laughs> of the Star Wars. Like, like a Star <laughs> yeah. Wars version of chips. Exactly, right? <laughs> they call it ships. It's like funny. It's like kind of slapsticky and <laughs> half hour funny, like yeah. totally out of the realm of Star Wars. They, there's this great YouTube video, um, Existential Troopers. That's what it is. Okay. Look it up. And it's hilariously written because they're talking about their role, the roles that they play in the universe. And like, we're here as cannon fodder. It's like, what? No way, man. <laughs> and the guy's yeah. like, well, then just quit. It's like, are you kidding? I'm not going to quit. I got a wife and I got kids at home. It's like, okay. So you're trapped in this concert. And it's brilliantly written. But it's, it's again, it's that fresh perspective. And, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think Star Wars can be funny. I mean, Taika Waititi proved that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm excited for that. He's going to throw some curveballs and they're they're going to be great, mm-hmm. I would imagine. We've also talked about that there actually prob- probably is one more storyline that actually might solve both problems, Paul, in that Thrawn is coming up here, you mm-hmm. know, and like that's a major storyline that is still in the Skywalker timeline, but the whole depending on how much of the legends version of him they want to pull and how much of the, what's been written in Canon. But the idea that he sort of had this rogue fleet that wasn't at the battle of Endor and mm-hmm. he's still in charge of it all. And it's a full on f- force and a fleet of ships and everything. There's a lot of meat on the bone yeah. there, you know, and you could have all kinds of new, new characters and new adventures involving the same timeline. So you, you, you scratch that nostalgia itch, mm-hmm. but 
you know, a live action Thrawn. I mean, even though he's an old character, it's uh, to me, it's going to feel like what you're talking about. Like a new yeah. story. It's going to be fresh line. to a lot of people. Yeah. 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 And a lot of people that, right, haven't watched Rebels or haven't read the novels and all, which a lot of people haven't. Yeah. It's going to be a totally new adventure. So I think that w- that's the last sort of like clear cut, right? So, I mean, we know Ahsoka's coming. We know all the stuff that's happening, mm-hmm. you know, right? We know Obi-Wan, we know Cassian, we know these car- characters we already have. But that's the last one that's like, you know, fan gatekeeping fanboys and and like uh, full-hearted nerds that appreciate star wars for being in our lives alike are excited about maybe seeing thrawn so i think what thrawn brings besides an excellent character too is his people are from the unknown regions like if you ever see like the universe yeah like if you ever see like the full galaxy i think the skywalker saga takes place in like half of it yeah like if they really want and thrawn's from the other half that is unwritten basically so if there's a way you know to introduce the other half of this galaxy that might be the future of star wars not that Mm -hmm. it couldn't involve uh characters that exist already but if ezra and thrawn are in the unknown regions right now and somehow ahsoka is bringing them out and introducing the other half of this map like maybe that's the future of star wars that's exciting hire me lucasfilm (laughs) (laughs) well paul before we wrap up you want to plug some of your stuff, your YouTube channel, and anything else you got coming up project-wise? Yeah, uh, for sure. Got a YouTube channel. It's called Bitter Asian Dude Inc. Check it out. It's a little channel that I didn't think could, but is doing it, which is great. Uh, it started off as a lark at the beginning of the pandemic, and it's turned into something that I quite enjoy doing. I do basically unboxings every Sunday. Funboxing Sundays is a live stream where I basically open up some really cool collectibles from my geeky basement, do a half-assed review, and then I just chat with fans about it, which is really cool. Right now, I'm on a big Hot Toys kick, so I've just fallen down that particular rabbit hole, and nice. uh, it's consumed me. <laughs> so uh, check it out. It's a, always a lot of fun on that. I've also got other content. I do unboxings. I do uh, reviews, uh, video reactions. All the regular stuff, but uh, it's done with joy and love and respect. So come on out and join us on Bitter Asian Dude Inc. I'm also on Instagram as uh, Angry Uppa and on Twitter as Bitter Asian Dude. Just a nerd like everybody else. <laughs> so come and have fun. I know we're still living the pandemic, but anything coming up, film or TV for you, projects? Yeah, I just got back from shooting a Hallmark Christmas movie that'll be out later on this year called The Boyfriends of Christmas Past. Check that out. Festive. I shot it in lovely Ottawa, Canada, which is actually the Hallmark Christmas capital filming site of the world. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. While I was there, there was another Hallmark movie being shot there and uh, a CBS Christmas movie and also a Lifetime Christmas movie being shot out there. (laughs) Yes, I had no idea, but Ottawa apparently is very, very popular for Christmas movies. Tax breaks. That's exactly it. That's exactly (laughs) it. And then coming up... um, I'm just trying to think. Can't talk about that. Can't talk about that. Uh, I'm going to be... Um, am I allowed to talk about that? There's a show in Canada called Tall Boys. It's a sketch comedy troupe. Oh, cool. uh, much in the same vein of um, Kids in the Hall used to be like. Nice. Uh, and so I've just signed on to appear in a few episodes for the third season. And um, that's about it so far. Sweet. Great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Before we totally get out of here, Ryan Key, you have a quote of the week for us? So this is a quote in regards to Luke Skywalker breaking the internet when this episode happened. And the quote is, to have a moment where you could have several members of your family together watching the same thing, sharing the same experience. That's what good television and good movies are all about. End quote, Mr. John Favreau. Hell yeah. Thank you for your service. No spoilers, just experience, man. It's so rare yeah it's amazing good stuff if you want to follow the podcast on social media you can find us on instagram at thank the maker pod on twitter at thank the maker all of my stuff is at adam the skull mine is at william ryan key you can also find me these days on twitch every day monday through friday twitch.tv slash william ryan key doing music production a little bit of gaming having a good time so come join the weirdo crew I'm at Nick Bayside. We have an excellent photographer on tour with us right now for the Bayside tour. So it's like my own personal paparazzi, which is great. So <laughs> Yeah, I saw a nice crispy picture of you and your, your new loafers. They're, they're vans. How crazy is that? They're slip-on vans, but they, they look a little fancy. Classic. But uh, yeah, 
go, go to my Instagram and see a sweet picture of me and Ashley Eckstein. She, Ahsoka has seen Bayside, can confirm. <laughs> By the way, uh, <laughs> I was texting with her after that and yeah. she, it was pretty adorable because she's <laughs> never been to anything yeah. like that. And she was just telling me about how she'd never been to a show like that and talking about the crowd and just how, you know, and yeah. I just was like, I'm so happy for you that you got to go to your first punk show and see a band like Bayside and, you know, and, yeah, be with friends like Nick. And so she was really happy about yeah, it, dude. It was great. That's dope. It really was wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, follow me there at Nick Bayside on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm still pumping out uh, the radio radio show on Spotify. New episode number 11 just came out. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Got a few tiers there, whether it's just Discord access at the entry level or hanging out live, listening to us record at the top level, merch, lots of good stuff. Patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, thankthemakermerch.com if you want merch. Everybody, thanks for hanging. Paul, thank you for hanging the most. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. So much fun. Until next time, may the force be with you. Thank you.